broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Midtown Business Radio. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's CW. Thanks for checking out the Midtown Business Radio Show. I had the good fortune of sitting down with longtime friend of the program, Rick Tapia. He's the founder of J.R. Revelry Bourbon Whiskey. I met him this time last year celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month when he appeared on the Let's Talk Small Business Show, brought to you by the Georgia Minority Suppliers Development Council, broadcasting every week on Tuesdays from our studio here in Midtown. Rick stopped by the studios this week to talk about where things are with his recently launched brand of bourbon whiskey. They started out late last year in the New York markets, but since that time, they've expanded to four more states, including, to my delight, Georgia, which means you can go to select purveyors of fine spirits and pick up your own bottle of J.R. Revelry Bourbon Whiskey right here in our community, which I highly recommend that you do. I've tried the bourbon whiskey on a number of occasions, and it is fantastic. I highly recommend it. Coming up, Rick's talking about how challenging it is to launch your own brand of spirits and get it to market. Check it out. Beverage alcohol landscape is, it's a three-tier world as we call it. So I would be in tier one, uh, which uh, puts me as a brand owner. So there are uh, individuals, entrepreneurs, multinational corporations, um, all different sizes of companies that own brands. Um, In the U.S., legally, we have to sell to a distributor within every state. And then that distributor, um, in turn, resells uh, to the um, to the retail outlet, be it a liquor store where you could go buy mm-hmm. the bottle, or a bar and restaurant where you can go and you know try the product at at, um, at a dinner or something. Um, so the good and the bad about that. Uh, the good is you know you as a brand owner don't have to um, go through the effort of physically having to sell it and distribute it to all of the retail outlets around mm-hmm. you know that geographic city oh yeah thousands it, of establishments exactly. yeah <laughs> yeah i mean here in atlanta there's uh or georgia there's about a thousand yeah. you know liquor stores <laughs> yeah. and you know over well over two thousand uh, bars and restaurants so yeah a, a huge challenge um so the good thing is you don't have to have that infrastructure the bad thing is is that you don't exist until you find a distributor that was willing to buy your product and resell it. So the good and the bad <laughs> of anything. So as much as you, uh, you know, we met a year ago and uh, as much as you would have wanted to buy a product, mm-hmm. you know, be able to go to your local liquor store. If I wasn't able to find a distributor that would take on my brand, then I just wouldn't exist in the marketplace. Um, so those were the first challenges in just getting to market. Um, and Georgia actually was not the first market I yeah, launched. Yeah, it was uh, New York, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, um, I launched New York uh, earlier this year at the uh, end of January, early February time period. Then actually went launched Massachusetts and wasn't able to launch Georgia until the spring, early summer. And um, and that was just, you know, the going through that process of trying to find a distributor, um, get all of the paperwork set up and the brand officially registered to be available for sale. So we were able to do that um, by the springtime period. And then uh, and then we were able to start to go out to the market. So then, you know, uh, like any brand owner, you work in tandem with the distributor to, you know, go out and basically try to sell the product into that, that retail universe. So you, you start cold calling on liquor stores, bars and restaurants and try to figure out a way um, for them to, you know, obviously take 
the product. So the good thing is, is the brand has uh, has been awarded, you know, some gold medals and um, and is a recognized great tasting product. And uh, and that kind of reassurance validates and provides some marketing support for the retailer to take a chance on mm -hmm. a new brand that is completely unknown. Um, because although you and I have known each other for a year and you're very familiar with it, I mean, there's just millions of people sure. out there that are still. Yeah. Um, so, but that, but we need that retailer to take in the product legally in order to be able to uh, to offer it for sale to the public. Stick around for the full interview with Rick Tapia, founder of JR Revelry Bourbon Whiskey. Coming up next. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's C.W. Hall, your host here on the Midtown Business Radio Show. Thanks for making us a part of your day today. And if you are checking us out on the broadcast, uh, hop over to Twitter, to the Midtown BRX Twitter feed, and we are trying this with Periscope. I'm joined in the studio by a fellow that I met this time last year, actually. We were talking before we went on the air, Hispanic Heritage Month, um, and he was in on the GMSDC show. And um, I was producing for that and had a chance to meet Rick Tapia. He is the founder and creator of JR Revelry Bourbon Whiskey. And uh, it is a spirit that I've had the opportunity to taste, and it is fantastic. And um, he has recently got it into the distributorship here in Georgia. So now you're starting to be able to see it popping up in package stores wherever you're fortunate to grab it off the shelves i would highly recommend you do so so it was a little impromptu we caught up and said hey what's going on are you around at one o'clock and rick said yeah so thanks for jumping in with me man cw thank you thank you very much for the invitation and uh yeah great to see you again in person it was one year ago that uh we we met had a great opportunity to connect and uh i'll tell you it's been a, a whirlwind a whirlwind of 12 months in uh in taking the idea um, at that time, which was still being finalized into what is a finished product that is uh, now available for sale in uh, five states, actually. Oh, that's awesome. So if, for the folks who aren't familiar with your story, just, you know, real quickly, share a little bit about how this came to be. Sure. Um, so my background is I've spent the last 18 years uh, working in the distilled spirits beverage category, meaning liquor guy. <laughs> to the average person, I'm the liquor guy. So I was fortunate enough to work for a company by the name of Seagram back in 1997, which got me into the industry. And um, basically 18 years later, hit the crossroads in my career and decided to become an entrepreneur. Um, and in choosing to become an entrepreneur, I've been living here in uh, Atlanta for the last nine years. Uh, fell in love with bourbon when I got moved here, and um, you know the uh, craft uh, brewing phenomenon has evolved to craft distilling phenomenon has evolved to consumers in the U.S. really appreciating craft spirits. Period. So I just saw a huge opportunity to leave the corporate side, become an entrepreneur, and create what is a a craft bourbon. Um, right now, there's a there's the a renaissance of uh, of the American whiskey um, industry happening. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some some people and some writers are saying it's the second chapter being written, first chapter being pre-prohibition, second chapter now kind of you know with the growth and the sexiness that, that is American whiskey. Um, so just a, a lot of factors came into play, which gave me the courage to take that leap of faith and. Uh, it's scary because uh, you know I'm, I'm still free falling, as I say. The last twelve months have been uh, <laughs> super, uh, super scary at times. <laughs> super exciting, exhilarating. Uh, it's a whole, a whole bunch of emotions. Um, 
but uh, I am proud that the uh, the idea was uh, was actually able to be conceived, and uh, we were able to figure out all the challenges that any entrepreneur faces in, in coming to market with their product and or service. And uh, we are available for sale. So now, what sorts of roles were you? You were on the business side of things with Seagram. What sorts of roles did you? Did um, you I started as an auditor, believe it or not. Um, you know, being Latino, being bilingual in Spanish, um, there actually still is to this day a a lack of uh, multilingual. You know, um, Spanish uh, language being one of those auditors that are willing to travel. And um, had an opportunity to uh, to get into the Seagram internal audit team, and was introduced to an industry that I enjoyed. Um, you know, had an affinity for the products and the overall um, just uh, the the opportunity to present it, and uh, navigated my way um, across the industry. And you know, worked worked for some good companies that that uh, encouraged um, you know cross functional training. So started an audit, uh, went on to finance. From there, went into marketing and brand management. Um, nine years ago, had an opportunity to move down here and, and learn the sales side of the business and just kind of round out the uh, skill set, um, you know, get the additional experience um, and expertise in some cases to uh, to do what I've done now, which is, you know, take all of that learning and, and apply it to, uh, to to my brand, JR Revelry Bourbon Whiskey. So when it came down to trying to develop your your brand and your your what the bourbon was going to be like i mean what's that process like in terms of trying to decide how it's going to taste you know that whole process what's that what's that like um with anything it you know it comes down to, to personal preference um what i saw as a as a huge opportunity in in blending the uh the, the barrels of bourbon and, and coming up with that flavor profile is is that right now the the whole renaissance of of whiskey um, has created a lot of uh, excitement and a lot of hype in the media outlets and everything. So you've got a lot of people that are coming into the category just because there's a lot of encouragement. Um, everything from the media to the friends, etc. Um, but a lot of people have been drinking other spirits. Um, the largest category by far and away is vodka. Mm -hmm. um, it's you know one in three drinks at a national level. So um, all of the other spirit categories fight for those other two occasions, as we say. And, um, you know, you've got, you know, in, in, um, in, in a legally defined odorless, colorless, uh, tasteless product, um, which has, you know, uh, educated a lot of palates, all of a sudden uh, being introduced and curious about, you know, whiskey, which is color and flavor. Um, so I, I wanted to make something that was very smooth and approachable. So whether you've been drinking vodka for the 20 plus years um, and all of a sudden decided to, you know, try um, a whiskey, be it a bourbon or anything else, um, that uh, it was it was a, uh, a nice, you know, segue into the category, a nice transition for the palate where, you, you know, you weren't getting palate shocked from it, basically. Yeah, I, I remember trying it. I've had a bottle. You were kind enough to bring me a bottle back over the holidays, which we enjoyed uh, very much. And it's one that you can certainly enjoy just by itself. It doesn't it doesn't burn you, you know. That, and that that um, bite that people always say, "Hey, yeah. th there's no bite." Yeah, no, it, it's uh, it's amazing. The probably the the single most uh, frequent feedback that you get is uh, smooth and there's no bite. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, most people, I, I think, can can relate to those simple words without getting too, you know, uh, technical with regards to this nuance or that nuance. It's like, hey, it's either smooth and there was no bite with it. So, now what what 
are the flavor profiles that are typically found in in bourbons? I mean, obviously the barrels contribute some measure of flavor to them. Um, are there other things? What what other elements are going in to create the flavor profile that you're talking about? Sure. So around the world, there is uh, five types of well-known whiskeys: American whiskey, Canadian, Irish, Scotch, and Japanese. Um, bourbon would be an American whiskey. So by that, it has to be made within the U.S. Um, and in addition to that, there, there's a there's a few extra rules it has to comply with. Um, the two, you know, um, I guess most difficult in some cases to comply with would be the mash bill, the grains that are used in it. So, um, you know, by law, bourbon has to be at least 51% corn. So corn is a, you know, it's a sweeter grain. Um, and then you typically include uh, rye, wheat, and barley. Um, and then the other, um, which can be challenging, uh, especially with the boom in, in, in whiskey making nowadays is that you have to use a new charred oak barrel. So yeah, that was the thing you yeah, were talking about last year was exactly. that you end up doing some waiting sometimes to get the barrels. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with all of the excitement, with all of the new distilleries being built, there is definitely a lot more demand for, uh, for new barrels. And because of that, the barrel making industry has had to play catch up over the past couple of years. Um, and that, you know, obviously demand increased the price, increased the business <laughs> opportunity. So, uh, there, there's a lot of, uh, new people, uh, making barrels and, uh, making good money and good business out of it. Um, but yeah, I mean that, that new oak wood definitely creates a lot of the character and the flavor that you taste in the bourbon because, um, it is new wood. Um, so your bourbon is going to be, you know, have that deeper amber color, um, it's going to get the nuances of the vanilla, the caramel from that charred wood. Um, and then based on your mash bill, you know, uh, if you're doing corn, rye, you, you'll also get some spice from there. So, so yeah, between the mash bill, between um, the wood and the aging and the time it spends in there, you, you will definitely get a lot of great character and color, um, which is what now everybody's looking for in, in their whiskey journey. Founder of JR Revelry Bourbon Whiskey, made here, um, or at least created here in Georgia. Is it distilled here? No, uh, I'm actually currently contract distilling, so didn't have the capital to build my own distillery at the onset. So um, found a great contract distillery, um, the Old Seagram Distillery up in Lawrenceburg, Indiana. Um, and um, they distill an age, and then uh, I've got a um, another distillery in Nashville, Tennessee, that does the processing and bottling for me. It's so multi-step process, but uh, it allows uh, JR Revelry to come to market. What was the process like, Rick, uh, when you were choosing the packaging? Because the bottle that you selected is really it's a really pretty bottle. It it's got almost a crystal look to it. Um, very very elegant looking bottle. Um, I like the clear that clear glass like that and the base looks really nice and heavy it's uh it's something that you could almost make candles out of you know one of those how people used to use wine bottles and things because it's just a it's a pretty piece of glass thank you thank you yeah no um the, the journey on the packaging uh really started where um you know just based on years of experience in the industry wanted to make something that was functional for the on-premise first and foremost um you know on-premise we always say is where brands are built and created mm -hmm. people need to see it taste it, try it, become aware of it, and then hopefully they start to gain the affinity for it. Um, if you look at, you know, the shelves right now in, in, in many liquor stores, um, you'll find all different shapes and sizes of bottles. Um, some are proprietary, some are very creative, um, you know, some are very funky. Um, but with that, sometimes they're not very practical to the bartender. Right. Um, and that bartender could be male or female. So the awkwardness of grabbing the bottle... Uh, the awkwardness of how you pour it, et cetera, et cetera, can come into play. And, um, 
you know, having been a brand manager and having worked on multiple brands over my career, you know, there was some feedback you would get at times and, you know, just from spending time with in the field and in the trade. Um, so what, what I wanted to do was create something that was very functional and practical, but still aesthetically mm-hmm. appealing. Um, you know, because I'm, I'm a new company, a small company, I was, uh, you know, like most craft distilleries and craft breweries, you basically have to go to stock products. So this is a stock uh, bottle. Um, it's not a proprietary bottle, but when I found it, I fell in love with it. And once we were able to decorate it, I was able to really, you know, um, let not only the product but all of the packaging complement each yeah, other. Yeah, because it's painted. It's not. Yeah, it's, not it's uh, screen printed. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Um, so yeah, no, the, the, the evolution of, of the packaging started with the bottle, wanted to be able to grip it at the top as, as yeah. you kind of see me doing here. Uh, cause this is how most bartenders will grab a yeah. bottle in order to pour. Um, and also because it's, it's, you know, it's not, you know, restrictive, whether you're male or female, your hand should be able to get around it right. and, and grip it. It's um, interesting. A, a lot of the ones that I see nowadays, some of the newer ones that are popping up there, everybody wants to throw back to that prohibition time you know you see the the old-timey bottles and (laughs) almost flask like or i've even you know seen some liquors in mason jars you know different glass like that and i can only imagine how difficult that kind of thing is they almost have to it can be very awkward to pour is basically what happens between maybe having to use two hands to hold the bottle to then worry about what the actual spout is um it can definitely get a bit awkward it looks cool and functional um but the practicalities was, was kind of what, what was my guiding light. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, uh, from that standpoint, there were few bottles, which, which were my options based on, you know, wanting to have that functional grip for the bartender. Um, and when I found this particular bottle, um, I just, I just fell in love with it. The scallop shoulders, mm-hmm. um, give it that kind of, um, you know, saloonish yeah. throwback in time look. Um, you know, when, when the bottle's full with the bourbon ill, you know, and it further accentuates it. Um, and you know, once again, once, once I saw the bottle, I was like, this is it. And then we started to play with the decoration. Um, the key thing and kind of the reason why you see the actual logo type being big and bold was, you know, again, going back to the bar when you're standing on the other side of the bar as a customer and you're looking at a back bar, whether Mm -hmm. it's a product that you know, or whether it's a new product that you're trying to be introduced to, you want to be able to read it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of people make the simple mistake of you can't read the label or you can't read the brand name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just, I mean, mostly it's size, um, you know, where if you're seven feet away, you know, that's interesting. (laughs) You know, I mean, I guess that shows the, the value of the experience that you had being in, in the industry for a little bit to be able to think about those things. Cause I mean, you know, just like we've just discussed, um, you know, so many people are trying to be, I think, unique with their packaging, but miss that element of it. Cause based on our conversations to date, it sounds like, you know, the on-premise side of things is really kind of one of the first places you end up having to focus to try to get some word out there across across folks to really generate some interest. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, for any new brand, it's one, they've got to become aware of it, and two, they've got to try it. So um, in a bar, you want to be able to see it, which is there by the big font kind of in your face, and then hopefully that induces, um, you know, a customer to be curious about, hey, what's that new product you've got there? Um, and hopefully trying it and, and working with the accounts once again. What was the inspiration for the name? Uh, so JR, um, are actually my initials for my legal name, Jesus Ricardo. 
Um, revelry uh, comes really from the occasion around typically whiskey, celebrating, um, you know, whether you're celebrating with colleagues, friends, family. Uh, the idea was celebration, and uh, revelry was just a way to express kind of an amped up celebration, and mm-hmm. uh, and you know, putting this whole uh, concept and idea to uh, to you know. Uh, a finished good was uh, was kind of my way of signing a celebration on the bottle too. So um, it was a a long and arduous process actually to come up with a name because uh, <laughs> you know from I mean there's a million exercises you can find out on the internet of you know ways to come up with a name. Um, the interesting thing was once you came up with a name and then you went out and you started to searching you know search for trademark purposes, right. you'd be amazed at how. How many things are just taken, um, and in some <laughs> cases they may not even be using them, but either way they've uh, they've trademarked the name uh, and just have it you know allocated uh, at some part in the world, some country in the world. <laughs> I thought it was interesting, uh, not to digress too much, but I, I thought it was interesting how just talking about naming and the challenges that can come with that. I mean, there was a, I believe it's a bourbon or uh, or some form of whiskey that called the Duke, and they are getting sued by Duke University, saying somehow that they're infringing on the Duke name um when it's clearly john wayne i mean he's yeah. on the cover and everything and so it's uh, challenges around naming can come from directions you would never even anticipate absolutely absolutely and and yeah and it, it was tough i mean between the names being taken and or not being taken but implied and nor relevant to other names there are definitely um brand owners out there that are very protective and spend a lot of time and a lot of effort to protect that that brand equity that they've uh that they've created o- over the years so so what's the process like Rick when when it comes to getting the word out and 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 when you when you start to begin to introduce it how what's that process like what do you have to go through i mean is it walking into restaurants and bar establishments to say hey we've, we've got this new spirit we'd like for you to carry it how does that how does that all come to come so, to pass so um what, what happens in the in the beverage alcohol landscape is it's a three-tier world as we call it so i would be in tier one uh which uh puts me as a brand owner so there are uh individuals entrepreneurs multinational mm-hmm. corporations um all different size companies that own brands um, in the U.S., legally, we have to sell to a distributor within every state. And then that distributor, um, in turn, resells uh, to the um, to the retail outlet, be it a liquor store where you could go buy mm-hmm. the bottle or a bar and restaurant where you can go and, you know, try the product at, uh, at, um, at a dinner or something. Um, so the good and the bad about that, uh, the good is, you know, you as a brand owner don't have to um, go through the effort of physically having to sell it and distribute it to all of the retail outlets around, mm-hmm. you know, that geographic city. Oh yeah, thousands it, of establishments. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, here in Atlanta, there's uh, or Georgia, there's about a thousand yeah. you know, liquor stores <laughs> yeah. and you know, over, well over two thousand uh, bars and restaurants. So yeah, a, a huge challenge. Um, so the good thing is you don't have to have that infrastructure. The bad thing is is that you don't exist. Until you find a distributor that was willing to buy your product and resell it. So the good and the bad <laughs> of anything. So as much as you, uh, you know, we met a year ago and uh, as much as you would have wanted to buy a product, mm-hmm. you know, be able to go to your local liquor store. If I wasn't able to find a distributor that would 
take on my brand, then I just wouldn't exist in the marketplace. Um, so those were the first challenges in just getting to market. Um, and Georgia actually was not the first market I yeah, launched. Yeah, it was uh, New York, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I launched New York uh, earlier this year at the uh, end of January, early February time period. Then actually went launched Massachusetts and wasn't able to launch Georgia until the spring, early summer. And um, and that was just, you know, the going through that process of trying to find a distributor, um, get all of the paperwork set up and the brand officially registered to be available for sale. So we were able to do that um, by the springtime period. And then uh, and then we were able to start to go out to the market. So then, you know, uh, like any brand owner, you work in tandem with the distributor to, you know, go out and basically try to sell the product into that that retail universe. So you you start cold calling on liquor stores, bars and restaurants and try to figure out a way um, for them to, you know, obviously take the product. So the good thing is, is the brand has uh, has been awarded, you know, some gold medals and um, and is a recognized great tasting product. And uh, and that kind of reassurance validates and provides some marketing support for the retailer to take a chance on Mm -hmm. a new brand that is completely unknown. Um, because although you and I have known each other for a year and you're very familiar with it, I mean, there's just millions of people out there that are still, um, so, but that, but we need that retailer to take in the product legally in order to be able to, uh, to offer it for sale to the public. Um, and, you know, being able to have a qualified, good tasting product, then, um, then that at least in some cases allows you, and then obviously they'll want to taste it. They'll want to see how the product compares, um, packaging is a huge factor. A lot of people, um, uh, retailers, um, you know, like a good package uh, because they feel that if it has stand out on the shelf, that will encourage and entice uh, customers or potential customers to look at it, take notice of it, and and and, uh, and hopefully make a purchase. So, um, from that perspective, packaging is one of the first um, things where you know any anybody who's buying your product will take a look at it and be like, okay. Uh, this looks good, and then let's taste it now. Kind of the the qualifier afterwards would be let's taste it, make sure it tastes good, and then, and then yeah, and then I mean you're just going out there, um, literally trying to hand sell it one account at a time um, to try to grow that distribution, and from there hopefully uh, make it available for the public. So now I've seen on Twitter, Facebook. Uh, posts that you're talking about doing different tastings and things like that is that coming from the distributor that's made an interaction with one of those places and said hey we've got this new product we would like to do a tasting with you how does that come about um the tasting is is really a a hybrid of any and all opportunities um some opportunities come through working with key retailers uh legally we can't taste in in liquor stores here so a tasting that we do or an event that we would do in a retailer would be just a hand selling to kind of call out the product and introduce it. Um, my personal preference is to do events where compu- the consumer can taste the product. So not only sees it, uh, becomes aware of the packaging and the brand name, but is actually able to taste it. So what we try to do, um, like just yesterday, I was actually at a golf tournament. Um, I'll try to partner with organizations and or events that are taking place where I can you know, sponsor with product have an opportunity for consumers to become aware of it and taste it. Now, how, how influential is it if my package store is telling their distributor, hey, I tried this bourbon, I'd like to have it? Um, how, how influential is that on a distributor to begin carrying a product like yours? Maybe they're not carrying it yet. Say there's a – you mentioned the fact that right now you've been working with a maybe a smaller um, distributor in the state, but – what if uh, XYZ 
package stores calling their big distributor saying, hey, we really we had a chance to try this. It's really good. We want to have it. How, how powerful is that kind of influence? Um, it helps. I mean, like anything, I guess uh, it helps elevate the that people start to become aware of a brand name. But, um, you know, I could tell you from just my experience over the last probably more four months uh, just in having launched additional markets and, and started to work more closely. It's, uh, I mean, in some cases, even, even with customers going into a retailer saying, hey, I want this product. Or retailers going to the uh, to the large distributors saying, "Hey, um, I want this product." Um, that's just not a guarantee that they'll take my product. <laughs> mm-hmm. What do you find that drives that inter- interaction? Whether or not somebody can, I mean, is it heavy relationship driven? I mean, how? Do, how what, um, what, part part of it uh, would definitely be relationship driven. I mean, it's. I mean, this. You know, it's. Uh, it's. It's a. Uh, it's a it's a long time industry, so there's definitely a lot of people that have been in the industry for you know. I mean, I've had 18 years uh, of it already and uh, working in many different capacities. But if you look at some of the key retailers and you look at some of the big distributors, I mean, I mean they've just been around for a much much longer time period. And um, and yeah, I mean part part of it is relationships. I mean the other part of it is um, there's just you know thousands and thousands, if not millions, of brands. I'm not sure what the final number is here in the U.S., but uh, I mean, there's just a ton of brands that come to market and come to both of the channels, both the distributor channel and and the retailer channel. And, um, you know, not everybody can carry everything or wants to carry everything. So um, so you've got a lot of just challenges in, in trying to break through the sheer numbers. Um, I mean, you know, there's some some um, some people say, you know, a, a, a distributor gets, you know, presented, you know, a handful of brands on a weekly basis. So. Wow. Um, so that's just some numbers and then retailers, you know, the same thing on a daily basis, you know, from all the multiple distributors, uh, presenting brands on a daily basis. So there, there is definitely a lot of product, um, that is available and, you know, some, I mean, and it's all types of products. I mean, I, I chose to do a bourbon whiskey, um, because I saw the Renaissance in, in whiskey taking place. Um, I saw, you know, the opportunity in, in just consumers' palates evolving and transitioning to wanting flavor and color. Um, and and I, I saw just a huge opportunity in wanting to limit the pushback from both the distributor and the retailer. Oh, because, another vodka. Yeah, exactly. Oh, another vodka. Or, <laughs> yeah, Leanne or, Maxwell over that? Dixon talked about that. Yeah. 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 No, and, and I, mean, I mean, the biggest challenge for... For anybody that that's on the purchasing side is, you know, um, and they have to then sell this thing is, you know, if if they've got to explain what it is and how to drink it, they've got a lot more work ahead of them. And mm-hmm. in doing a bourbon whiskey, I didn't have to explain what it is or how to drink it. <laughs> now, you mentioned that you had won a couple of awards. Tell me about that. Where What, what sorts of... Um, there's, where were they there, there's a lot of different award uh, competitions that, 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 that you can enter into um, promoted by the industry across many different, some national and international. Um, one of the awards which we've got um, is the International Wine and Spirits um, competition. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it's just an opportunity to get the product in front of, you know, uh, experts have them blind taste the product and give a true, you know, um, unbiased opinion, be it packaging, be it brand name, 
um, and just say, hey, this liquid tastes good, and um, and this is what I'm tasting, and and this is what I'm getting out of it. So it's um, it's you know it's it's pretty it's it's I mean it's it's great qualifiers for people that you know don't know your product and haven't heard of it as to say kind of your stamp of approval. It's it's a rating. It basically says, hey, this is this is good stuff. You should take a chance on it and try it out, um, even if you're not familiar with it. What about um, bloggers and publications? Do you submit? to them at all so that they can try it and begin to write about it, maybe get a broader exposure across people that are in the industry or or aficionados that are just retail customers that might want to try to see if they couldn't get their people to start carrying it? Absolutely. That world is growing exponentially because a lot of it is transitioning to online. Um, So there are definitely different online, you know, portals and gateways, be it, um, be it websites where you can, in some cases, consumers can purchase product, um, and it's got a very small curated portfolio. So basically, if you get onto that website, then right. you've, you've made the cut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To um, to yes, to other just organizations that are out there, um, people just um, you know literally drinking, writing a review, providing their feedback and comments, and and these bloggers or you know or just people evolving to bloggers evolving to. Um, kind of a guided source of um, of just again you know product uh, ratings qualifications it's like hey you know if before I drop 30 30 plus dollars on this bottle let me do a little research and find out what people are thinking about it um, so no that's huge and uh, and yeah I mean uh, we, we try to submit um, you know the product wherever possible um, some of them are kind of geographic so uh, based on the markets that we've launched uh, we'll we'll, we'll We'll definitely try to network with any influential bloggers and or whiskey writers and or just online retail outlets um, that, um, you know, that have that curated uh, list of products along with, um, you know, that pretty large following. We've been talking with creator of J.R. Reverie Bourbon Whiskey, J- uh, Rick Tapia. I met him last year on the Let's Talk Small Business show that is brought to you by the Georgia Minority Suppliers Development Council, or GMSDC. Um, and that was celebrating Hispanic Heritage, Heritage Month, Correct. Um, which we're currently celebrating. It kicks off today, actually. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and talk about that. Are, are you a, a, a certified MBE? Yeah, so um, I was born in Peru. Uh, immigrated here to the States at the age of five. Uh, grew up in the Northeast, the New York area, went to school up in Boston, and then moved down here um, nine years ago. And um, and yes, uh, my company is wholly owned. It's just myself, so there's no uh, angel investor or anything like that. Very, very small business uh, <laughs> in uh, or a very small company in a very large industry. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, um, uh, being 100% minority owned, um, I went out and got the certification. So I am MBE certified, which is uh, the certification that you get from the GMSDC. Right. And um, and that does actually provide some some opportunities. Um, yeah, that's what I was wondering is in yeah. your in your space in. Yep. in in you know spirits where does that come into play uh actually i've got a a good story to tell it you know like anything um building relationships uh connecting with potential partners takes time um but one of the uh corporate partners that i was introduced to by being an mb certified company 
um, was actually Delta Airlines. So I'm actually um, presenting uh, JR Revelry to Delta this Thursday. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I'll be going to their offices and they're doing a... Um, a new vendor reach out specifically to minority-owned uh, companies. So uh, I was able to get an invitation to that, and I'll have an opportunity to go present the product, and hopefully you will see us in the Delta lounges. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. We've been broadcasting both uh, via our live stream and then also uh, using Periscope. One of the first times we've been trying out Periscope with the broadcast, have seen a few people hanging around hanging around in the the periscope broadcast if you guys out there listening have questions for us here on the show tweet them out and we'll uh, see if we can't get them answered for you um and for for you i mean do you have advice because i mean I've, I've talked to some other minority business owners that weren't aware of gmsdc i mean what advice do you have for for them in terms of you know getting involved, being able to go through that process? Because from what I understand, you need to have some things in place with the structure of your business and, and various things like that to, to really qualify to be able to take advantage of it. But do you have advice for the minority business owner out there, whether they're in your space or others, yeah. that, that might be useful for them? Um, I mean, like like any any process, I mean, whether you're getting a passport or whatever, there there's going to be paperwork, there's going to be steps that you need to do. And and some of it can be, you know, a little time consuming. Um, but um, when I when I learned of the, the GMSTC and the HOMB certification, I saw it as a potential marketing tool. Um, and in thinking of it as a marketing tool, and by marketing tool as a way to get your product, your service exposure um, to a broader audience, to probably um, a group of companies and or um, industries that you know, that you probably never be able to connect with. I mean, you know, you know, one person, small business owned company and beverage alcohol. I don't know if I could have gone and knocked on Delta's door and they would have answered. I see. Um, so this, this definitely helped me market my product and get it into, um, an organization that, you know, once again, and nothing's guaranteed. I mean, but I'll, you know, I'll say you, you'll, you'll, do a lot of work and put a lot of effort into something that may take a lot of time to reap rewards. Um, but either way, it helps open doors for you to market yourself, your company. Um, and if anything, you I've met a lot of other interesting people and companies, um, ones that same way I would have probably not had a chance to cross paths with because, you know, my my product is and industry are very specific. And, um, you know, I'm it, Believe it or not, it's within the uh, the MBE world um, and uh, other minority-owned companies. There are not a lot of minority-owned distilled spirits companies. Um, I think if you were to look at the GMSDC list of all companies, at a, or actually the MBE list at a national level, there's less than ten of us. And um, doing one doing a bourbon, I I didn't know of anybody else doing a bourbon. And um, being Hispanic-owned, Latino-owned, uh, I was the only one doing that. So. Um, so I saw that as an opportunity to stand out and be different. And, um, and really, I just saw it as more people that I can introduce my product to and have them become potential customers. Within the his Hispanic community, what is the positioning, I guess, if you will, uh, for bourbon? How does, it, how does it rank in terms of consumption or interest among the Hispanic community? Um, whiskey drinking, uh, mostly scotch, has always been very uh, prevalent and, and very common. There's a lot of affinity for uh, for some huge scotch brands, mostly blended scotch, um, Johnny Walker, 
uh, Chavis, um, Buchanan's, very huge global brands, a lot of affinity all across Latin America, even across the U.S. here. Buchanan's, I know, is growing exponentially here. Um, so whiskey is, is definitely in our palates. It's definitely um, it's something that we know, something that we consider. Uh, bourbon is the evolution of that. Um, you know, bourbon wasn't very sexy and wasn't very cool. If you look back, you know, five, you know, five, ten, you know, year, 15 years or whatever, now all of a sudden it's at the forefront, it's at the main front. Um, it definitely has a different taste because of the corn um, that goes into uh, into a bourbon versus the the malted and, and unmalted bar or the, the malted barley that goes into a scotch whiskey. So there's definitely flavor differences there. Um, and, um, you know, people are just evolving and enjoying bourbon uh, whiskey drinking right now. So um, there's definitely a much more of a predisposition and more awareness and affinity for scotch, but it's, it's just another flavor they get to try and enjoy. So, um, I mean, just back when I was even concepting the idea of doing a bourbon and, uh, you know, I just reached out to family and friends, um, you know, like, Hey, how many, I, I, I was pleasantly surprised to learn how many people were already drinking bourbon or starting the journey and just curious about it just because everything was hitting them, the media mm -hmm. around bourbon and you should be drinking it to the practical nature of going out to a bar and finding a, a whiskey and a bourbon cocktail on the bar and the bar menu. Um, to just, you know, in some cases being able to, you know, visit the, a, a local distillery in their local town. So, um, so all of that was definitely evolving people's interests and curiosities and people were definitely trying, uh, bourbon whiskey. How do you like to drink it? I, uh, I drink it two ways. Um, I drink it neat if I'm at home. Um, you know, it is, bourbons are typically higher proof. Um, they'll typically be in the mid eighties to nineties. You'll have, um, you know, the bottled and bond or the hundred proof is a common trend right now. You're starting to see more brands coming out with it. Um, and then you've got the cast strength, which is going to be in, you know, hundred plus in the teens. So, uh, there's a lot of alcohol there. So <laughs> if I'm drinking it neat in any one of those, uh, you know, products, I, I, I prefer to do that at home and, you know, just the, the privacy of that. If I'm out in a social setting, um, I will typically put it on the rocks and the, you know, water, you're just adding water basically right. to dilute it and bring down the alcohol, um, which also does open up flavors and does bring out other flavors of the bourbon. Um, but I'll do it for the responsible standpoint of, Hey, you know, I'm probably going to have a couple, I'm probably going to be out. Um, let me add a little water in, in way of, of some ice. Um, yeah. I like, um, I, I tend to like it on the ice. Sometimes I'll, uh, especially if they have really good ice, um, I'll, I like bourbons. I'll sweeten it sometimes with the, just a t tiny splash of a, of a cola beverage of some mm -hmm. sort. But, um, what, what price point does the, does the bottle come in at? I've been fortunate enough. You've actually, the, the bottles I've consumed, you've actually given to me. <laughs> so I haven't bought it yet. Um, what price point does this, this is a 750 that you have here on Correct. the table. What, what price points that come in at? Um, in liquor stores around the Atlanta area, you'll find it, um, around 2999, mm. um, a little bit higher in some cases. Um, not lower, but uh, I, I like to say around twenty nine ninety nine to thirty four ninety nine somewhere in there. I'm I'm somebody I'm always looking when it comes to to spirits because I mean clearly they can be expensive for what you're buying. Sure. Um, but I'm always asking. I, I go to I, I mentioned to you Pace's Bottle Shop, my guy over there, Pramesh. Uh, yeah. uh, I love him. He's uh, there's some good people that run that place, and and I'm always asking him. Uh, I want something that uh, is at this price point, but drinks above that. And and I would say that this does that. You know, um, you know, for me, I'm I'm not quite pricey enough to be getting into the 
75 80 100 dollar bottles very sure. often i mean other than just once in a while splurging but um i i would say from my own palate anyway when i when i drink this for a 30 dollar bottle of, of bourbon it's it's one like you talked about you can drink it neat and it's not going to make you gonna ha you know every, yeah. after every sip you know it's really i think quite smooth for the price absolutely absolutely yeah no i mean there's um it, it's it's interesting because I, w- I was actually just recently looking at some you know some 52 week trends on on you know what whiskeys are selling and um yeah i mean at all different price points um you've got people buying the 24 to 40 dollar you've got the 40 dollar and up and then you've got the 85 dollar and up mm-hmm. and um all the price levels are growing so there's definitely a broad audience of people out there that are shopping um all the different price points i think it was like only the standard or the the very low end that wasn't growing at all <laughs> so people have definitely embraced the category um they're definitely dabbling at different price points um to what you said i mean there's occasions i think uh most people will have a few bottles of bourbon in, at their home um you know they may have that occasional everyday one They'll have that special friends uh, bottle, and then they'll have that one that they just sip, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, and those could all be three different price points um, that that they're you know that they're buying at, and um, and yeah, I mean whether you want to mix it or whether you, whether you want to drink it neat, it really comes down to flavor. Um, I think that the beautiful thing about uh, bourbon and most American whiskeys, for that matter, is is that you know um, the categories always promoted mixability. Um, so you'll find a lot of traditional cocktails, be it the old fashioned, the Manhattans, along with you'll find a lot of, um, you know, new innovative cocktails uh, that mixologists uh, are creating. And, you know, whether it's some agave nectar even or whatever it is that they're including in there or muddled fruit, this, that and the other. Um, the uh, the breadth of how you can consume a bourbon, um, although we enjoy it neater on the rocks, um, is definitely vast, and that I think is bringing in a lot of a lot of people to the category, uh, both young and old, both men and women, and um, and that I think has helped fuel a, a lot of the growth. I mean, uh, reality is, is majority of people drink cocktails; they don't drink things neat or right. on the rocks. Yeah. Um, so it just makes it more accessible, more approachable, and um, and thereby, you know, it's just a lot more appealing to a broader group of uh, people. It's funny, I've been chastised before for when I'm ordering a bourbon um, with like a splash of Coke or something like that in it. Um, and I, you know, oh, that's that's just a sipping whiskey. You don't want to mix that with any of that. I'm like, it, you know, it's it's made for making cocktails and made Absolutely. for made for for drinking however you like it right <laughs> oh yeah no it, it's it's it is very very approachable and yeah i mean at, at the end of the day um you know you as a consumer should consume however you see fit and however you enjoy it just yeah. buy another bottle <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> so what's the what's the plan i mean where do, where do you go from here you're in five states how's yeah. it going are you still i guess knocking on doors in other states obviously? absolutely absolutely so yes yeah, so um just uh, recapping i guess where we're at and uh, what we've gotten to so kicked off uh kicked the brand off in new york uh, earlier this year then we went to massachusetts then we launched georgia then went back up, did Connecticut and uh, Rhode Island, 
recently um, about to kick off New Jersey and Michigan. So those two states are already, you know, all the paperwork's in, distributor has been identified, partner. Um, so I'm just waiting for launch dates, uh, which are imminent any day. And um, California will be the biggest and the boldest. And that has already been approved by the distributor. So I've got my distributor out there and we're just working on some final paperwork and numbers. So those three states should be the the, the last to complete, you know, year one, uh, 2015 of being in business and, uh, and making the brand accessible and available. Well, on the website, does it talk about um, where can you search? Yeah. Where to go get yeah. It? Um, yes. I mean, being a small brand, um, you know, it's all about where can I find it? That type right. of thing. So yes, if you visit jrrevelry.com and you go to the store locator, um, or store finder tab, you can just punch in your zip code and it'll pull up a map and it'll list, uh, the 25 closest retailers to your zip code. So, and it'll include both, uh, liquor stores and bars and restaurants. And I know you're on Twitter because I put it out on the Periscope. It's JR underscore Revelry. Correct. Um, and uh, you're also on Facebook. Facebook at uh, JR Revelry Bourbon. And then uh, Instagram at JR Revelry, one word. And then um, Pinterest also. Links to all that on the website. Correct. Uh, I would yeah, if you yeah. go to the website, you can just click on uh, the icons and it'll take you right to our. And then, of course, pages. if you're coming back and you're checking out the podcast, then all of that will be down on uh, Rick's bio. And all you can do is just go down to the uh, bottom of the podcast page and be able to go straight to all of that and get tied in. Any final thoughts before we let you get back? Uh, I appreciate you altering your schedule a little bit. It sounded like things kind of worked out for you, too. We had a no. schedule change, and it worked <laughs> out. So I'm really happy to have you back in the studio. Yeah, no. I mean, you know, right now, this is, uh, this is you know, uh, key time. It's um, it's the fall. You know, the weather's getting a little bit chillier. People are definitely transitioned back. You know, football started. So yeah. uh, people are definitely appreciating and enjoying their whiskey now. And uh, so, yeah, so we're I'm, I'm busy. I mean, I'm busy trying to activate um, I'm busy trying to get the, the new markets launched. Um, so wherever possible, I'm trying to meet people and get them to taste and try the product. Well, I certainly talk about it, and uh, I've been pushing on my package stores to tr push on their distributors to uh, have it on the shelf so I can go around the corner and pick it up because it's certainly worth a buy if you've not tried it already. And if you haven't done so already and you're checking out the podcast, go up to the upper left-hand corner of the Midtown Business Radio page, and you'll see the Apple logo. That'll take you to the iTunes store, to the Midtown Business Radio Show podcast, and subscribe to us because we'll be introducing you to cool entrepreneurs and business leaders uh, from around the Atlanta area and beyond every week and uh, reach out to us too. If you know a great company that serves the business community through some sort of solution, whether it's software or products or services, whatever it may be, or it's your company and you serve the business community, reach out to us through the contacts tab and let us know about them because we would love to have them come on and tell their story here on the Midtown Business Radio Show. We serve the business community. We don't make people come and pay. None of the guests that uh, you see here on our shows ever pay to come and tell their stories. And um, we, we are really happy to be able to give the airway to uh, some of these cool people that we get to meet uh, through the show. So, Rick, man, I'm, I'm really tickled to get to connect with you. I'm sorry that you won't be around for the business mixer coming up here in a couple of weeks. No, unfortunately, the travel schedule has me, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a one man show. That's right. It's good. Try, until, until I can clone <laughs> myself, <laughs> I will be whisking back and forth uh, from different markets. Well, get out to the JR Reverie website. 
find out where you can get around the corner and pick up a bottle of his bourbon because it's fantastic. And he's a great guy, as you can see from uh, listening to him tell his story here. So I'm really pleased to have had the good fortune of meeting Rick last year, uh, celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month. And um, Godspeed to you, man. I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, you'll continue on the positive trajectory that you've been seeing. It's uh, I know you've been pushing really hard, and uh, wheels starting to turn, looks like. Absolutely. We're walking. We're walking. We're not <laughs> running yet, but we are definitely walking. And no, thank you. Thank you, CW, for the uh, the help and just elevate the awareness. And um, and little by little, you know, more people get introduced to the brand name, and uh, we, we are growing. So, Well, if, uh, if, if you've listened to the podcast, turn around and share it on your social media. We would love for you to help us introduce this to other folks. And uh, to everybody out there who made us a part of your day today, we really appreciate you, Rick. Thanks so much for being here with me, and uh, we'll catch you all same time, same place next week. We'll see you then. 